John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and we're doing just a, a little series here on teaching our children about dating, and uh, of course there's a lot more than just teaching our children about dating here, um, I think uh, especially for the, for the young people, not only, um, not only is this for parents to help their children, um, uh, at, really at any age before they get married obviously, but this is uh, a lot of things that we're going to be talking about, hopefully are help to the young people themselves. If you are going to be looking for somebody that fits into these categories, then that's something that you should be yourself, right? So uh, we're, we're looking at it from that angle. And then also, I, I think these are things that will even help you, a lot of these things that will help you in your marriage itself. So uh, the, the time is coming for all of us, uh, kids or grandkids, that you're going to have to give some advice and some help. And uh, one of these days, it's, and, and it's not going to be long, no matter what age your kids are at, uh, it'll be here before you know it. And uh, if you've been keeping notes, then go ahead and pull those notes out. You might want to grab a, a pen and a scrap of paper if you have one. I think we probably have some of those little booklets there in the back that uh, you can use for writing notes on. Um, but let me, let me just go back. And um, we, we, talked, we, we looked at the spiritual side of dating, if you will, over, over the last few weeks and, and uh, the importance of and the ministry of marriage. And, and uh, obviously the family is the first institution that God ordained, right? You had Adam and Eve before you had the church, before you had anything else. And so a family is so important. And uh, especially when it comes to, to me and my ministry, my family is more important even than the ministry, which is why the qualifications for a pastor are that his family be in order. I cannot be a pastor if my family is not in order. And so obviously God places a very strong importance on the family. And we ought to do the same thing. And so the ultimate goal is to stay together for life and to make marriage wonderful, to make it enjoyable, and to be something together that you can never be apart. And so we talked about a lot of different things leading up to that. But then last week, I started into uh, just will be a couple weeks and we'll finish up with this, but some advice to our children on dating. So let me just run back and uh, kind of uh, touch, uh, t touch on each one of these things that we talked about. And um, I'm trying not to reteach them again. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to any of those, if you weren't able to be here last week, then you can go back and listen to the, uh, to the message from last week. But number one, there is no such thing as falling in love. Love is a decision. And that's, that's such an important thing. Love, love has emotion, but it isn't emotion. Love is a decision. You decide that you're going to love somebody, which is why I say often that uh, it's not so much your love that sustains your marriage as much as it is your marriage that sustains your love. You are married and you are committed, and that commitment, even though there'll be up and down times, will make, it, make your love last versus uh, your love making that marriage last. Because there's going to be times when you don't feel like you love the other person. That doesn't mean that you just go get divorced or just go leave that person because you don't feel like you're in love anymore. You made that commitment, and that commitment is what will sustain your love. Number two. Uh, and these, these are just some things that, that will be helpful for you. Really, a lot of things that are more consideration things than hard and fast rules. But don't date your first semester in college. Uh, it's, you're experiencing an enormous variety of changes in a relatively short amount of time. And uh, give yourself some space, some time. Number three, don't date somebody that's either 25% older or 25% younger than you. We talked about that. Number four, you don't need your parents' permission after you graduate from high school to date. But you should want your parents' blessing. We talked a lot about that as far as, uh, you know, the role of the parents needing to be needed and the role of the children needing to gain their independence. And there's, it's, that, it's that, that tug of war that goes on all the way throughout the uh, 
adolescence, if you will, but all the way throughout the high school years and even into the college years. The parents can't let go, and the, and the kids are trying to push away. Uh, but, you know, you have authority. Parents have authority right now when their children are growing up, but it's going to get to the point where all you have left is influence. One of these days, they're going to be gone, and your authority, how you use your authority now is going to de determine what type of influence you have later. So when it comes to young people, you don't need your parents' permission, but you should want their blessing. Number five, ask your parents' advice a lot. We looked at Proverbs 11, verse 14, where no counsel is the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Number six, don't date an unsaved person. Amos 3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? So if you, wouldn't, if you would not marry somebody who is unsaved, then you shouldn't date somebody who is unsaved. The whole purpose of dating is not just to have somebody on your arm to go to a party with or something like that. The whole purpose of dating is for you to see if this is the person that God would have for you to marry. Number seven, don't date somebody with a temper problem. If they have a problem with their temper while you're dating, I can promise you it's going to be a whole lot worse once you're married. And it's going to be something you're dealing with for the rest of your life which we also mentioned this in this one and the next one, don't date a sneak. That's something that, that young people need to make sure you're working on. Work on your temper. I wouldn't want my kids marrying somebody with a temper. I wouldn't want my kids marrying somebody who's a sneak. So don't be that yourself. Somebody who is always sneaking around and trying to get around the rules may seem cool or it may seem fun, but eventually you're going to be the one that gets burned when they're sneaking around on you after you get married. So don't date a sneak. Number nine, don't date somebody who doesn't honor their parents. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, is one of the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Number 10 is where we're picking up with today. And that is this. Look for a positive response. Look for a positive response. I heard a pastor say that he was sitting in his freshman Old Testament survey class, and uh, one of the students raised his hand and said, what should I look for in a date? And the teacher kind of thought about it for a second. He grinned and he said, a positive response. Right? That's what you need is a positive response from somebody if you're going to ask them to date you or whatever else. But that teacher was right. If somebody you're interested in is not interested in you, it may be time to move on. Um, find somebody who's interested in you. Having said that, it doesn't mean it's all over if you ask them out and they say no. Um, there's a number of reasons they may say no. And we're going to discuss that a little bit later uh, this evening. But... A pastor friend of mine said that he asked his wife out seven times before she finally said yes. I, I, don't, I don't know how you keep going back that, that many times after she said no six times before, but they did, and they got married, and they're doing fine. They've got, they've got a great family, but you'll save yourself an enormous amount of emotional trauma if you find somebody that's interested in you. Number 11, don't either overestimate or underestimate looks. Our culture is so rotten. Um, and, and it doesn't take much looking around. Uh, it essentially, our culture equates everything in any way connected with dating as sexual and sends the message very loud and clear that physical attraction is all that matters. And uh, I mean, you don't have to look very far to see that all of the music and all of the movies and all, a lot of the things on the internet and just advertisements and, and, and everything, uh, that's just, you know, everything is pushing you in that direction. Here's what the ideal person looks like. This is what you need to have. And if you don't have that, then you don't have the ideal person. This is the standard of beauty. This is what you, you know, this is what you should be looking for. And that's just one of the many reasons, honestly, why I'm, why I'm constantly preaching against the world's music and the world's movies and the world's just about everything else. They give you such a false sense of what is real and what is not. 
right? I mean, you take, you take a movie that, uh, that lasts an hour and a half or two hours, and they put all of this stuff in there, and they give you this, this, this concept of the world that is so unrealistic, but then people want to go live their lives out in the fantasy of movie land, and it, it doesn't work. It's not real. And the same thing is true when it comes to love, right? They, they are portraying on the, in the, in, on the screen and in those movies what true love is all about. And that's, I mean, that's not true love at all. Um, and, and it's flat wrong. We've been led to believe in a certain standard of beauty. And anything that doesn't match that perfect Photoshop airbrushed version of what they say a person should look like, a lot of people think is below their standard. I had a, a, I say friend of mine, I mean, I guess he was a friend of mine, but uh, he, how shall I say, wasn't really blessed in the looks department, um, but there was a girl that he had his eye on that was one of the, you know, one of the prettier girls at the church there, and he was just enamored, and he couldn't believe that she wouldn't give him a second look, and she wouldn't go out with him, and he tried so hard to get her to go out with him, uh, and, and I don't know if that's what his standard was or not, I mean, it's not like you can't, you know, uh, you can't have a, somebody that you think is attractive and want to go out with that person or marry that person or whatever else. But by the way, that's exactly what pornography does to a marriage. Pornography gives the marriage an unrealistic expectation. Um, in fact, turn over to 1 John chapter 2. I don't, I don't know if I told you that or not. Uh, but it, it gives a certain expectancy to the marriage, that's, that, and that's, that's one of the many reasons why pornography is not just sinful, it's unwise, even if there was nothing wrong with it. Now, obviously, the Bible, Jesus made that very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. Uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and everybody else had this whole mindset of don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed that adultery. He took it a step further, which means it's not just the physical, it's what's in your heart. That's what Jesus' whole point was. But the, the whole idea behind that is, even if it wasn't wrong, it's just unwise. It gives you uh, an unrealistic expectancy of what marriage is and should be. When it may not be that at all. First John chapter two and verse fifteen makes this very very clear, and a lot of these, a lot of you probably know these verses, but it's worth looking at them again. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is: the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I don't want to get off onto a whole side tangent here, but you look at, you look at 95% of the advertising that's done. And, and you know, um, it's, it's all of the, the uh, these photoshopped, airbrushed people that sell products. Right, And I don't need to go any further than that because you know what I'm talking about. But that's why do people do that? It's because it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, and it's the pride of life. And that sells. That sells products, and that's why they continue to do it. Which is why, then, it's so important that not, I mean, this is, this is Bible. This is what the Bible is telling us to do. Stay away from all of that stuff. Love not the world. Love not the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a strong statement. So when you are lusting after those things and going after the things that the world is putting out there, oh, I just can't get enough of the movies, or I, just, I love this music so much, I can't get enough of it, or, or these, you know, whatever. That's of the world. And the Bible says the world is going to pass away. That lust is going to pass away. 
But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The, world, the worldly beauty standard is just another reason why we should heed the word of God in this matter. Stay away from the world. Stay away from the things of the world. The person you're dating is a soul, a spirit, and a body. And most of the time, we are only looking at the body side of it. They're a soul and a spirit as well. And when you neglect that soul and spirit side of yourself or that soul and spirit side of a person, you're missing more of that person than what you can actually see. What they look like informs us who they are, but it's not who they are. And who they are is both so much more and so much more important than how they look. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that from a looks standpoint. But let me say this. What they look like can give you a good indication of what's on the inside as well. Um, someone who looks worldly on the outside very, very probably is worldly on the inside. Um, if they have to dress with the latest fashions and hairstyles, then, then they very likely are focusing their attention on the wrong reading and the wrong watching materials. If you're focused on those things, I, I couldn't tell you what's in style right now other than maybe seeing somebody out in public that's you know, dressed a certain way and then all of a sudden you see another one and another one and another one because I, I, I'm not following the magazines and I'm not following the movies and I don't know what the latest trends are. If you do, that's an indication that the things you're looking at and the things you're watching and the things you're reading are probably not very healthy for you. It means that you're probably leaning toward the world if you're not already far into it. So... I couldn't tell you what the popular styles are right now because that's not what my mind and spirit are feeding on. And I'm not just, I'm not trying to lift myself up. I'm just saying, if, you're, if, if you know what all of those things are and you're up on those things and you're trying to be what those people are, then you're feeding your mind and your spirit on the wrong things. I, had a, 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 I heard a story about a couple of police officers and a, and a chaplain that showed up to an older man's house. And obviously, you, you look at the situation, you could tell that something bad had happened. And so... They rang the doorbell, and when the man answers, the uh, officers introduced themselves, and they introduced the chaplain that was standing there with them, and the chaplain, you know, and, and kind of, uh, you know, he took his hat off, and he said, sir, I, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it looks like your wife got hit by a truck. And he turned to the chaplain, and he said, well, I, I know she's always looked like that, but she's got a good heart. And that's why I say looks is not always the most important thing, right? Um, but... But having said that, if you don't find that person attractive, then I would argue that you're dating foolishly, right? I, there, there may be a lot of people who would disagree, and honestly, I hope you would, but I think my wife is the most beautiful person in the world. I, I should see it that way, and I hope you don't see it that way because your wife should be the most beautiful person in the world to you, right? But, you know, well, you told me that I ought to have character and I ought to make a commitment, and I did, right? But if you think they look like a horse... Or, or, or look like they got hit by a truck and you don't want to kiss that person, then that's, that's going to be a problem. You're going you're to have one long, dreary trudge of a marriage. So when I say this, don't either overestimate or underestimate looks. There's a balance, right? There's a ditch on both sides. Well, she's such a good woman, but wow, she's hard to look at. I mean, that, that's going to be a long, long road for you in your marriage. So, so in, that, in that way, don't underestimate it, but don't overestimate it either. Right? A, lot of, a lot of people miss out on the person that God had for them because they watch the world standard of what beauty is and they, set, they wouldn't settle for anything less when it was something that God wanted for them. Number 12, let me say it this way, observation before decision. And this is where, I'm, where I kind of go back to, to what I said at the beginning about just because a girl says no to a guy that asks her out does not mean that that's the final answer. Um, because of this, 
watch somebody before you ask them out or before you agree to go on a date with them. And obviously, I'm talking about it from a guy perspective and a girl perspective, right? Girls, this is, that's one of the reasons why you might say no to a guy on the first time he asks you out. If you don't know that guy or if you haven't, maybe you've been watching him because you were hoping that he did ask you out and you know about him already and he asks you out, then fine to say yes. But if you don't know this guy, uh, I think it's, a, it's wise to say, give me a month and come ask me again. And then watch him. See what he does. See how he acts. Uh, that's certainly not meant to be any, in, you know, it's not meant in any kind of creepy way. I'm not saying that a guy ought to be stalking a girl just to figure out what she does or whatever else, you know. Uh, that's, how, that's how a lot of people in the world would view it. But you should be choosing your life's mate amongst Christians anyway. So a lot of times this is something that's going to take place in a Christian college or in a church or something like that. But watch. Watch who that person sits with. Watch who that person hangs out with. Who you choose as your friends is very highly revealing of you. Uh, figure out who, if this is in a college setting, figure out who her bus captain is. Figure out who her favorite teachers are. And then go ask them what their opinion is of that guy or that girl. And you want to do it in a confidential way as much as you can. You're not, you know... Uh, letting everybody know, I'm interested in this girl. I want to know what you think about it. But you ought, to, you ought to want to know what other people think about her, right? Make an appointment with the pastor. Ask what he, you know, ask his opinion. Call her pastor. Mention your intentions. See what he has to say about that person. Guys or girls, you want to know their character and their spirituality level before you go out and before you get emotionally involved. Because once emotions get involved in it, number one, it's very hard to break that off, number one. Number two, once emotions get involved in it, you can't see past the end of your nose a lot of times to see that there's a glaring problem with that person, and now you're, now you're stuck in the middle of it. So I, I did that when I was in college, and honestly, it limited who I asked out to the point where I did not date uh, really anybody until I met my wife after college. Now, I dated one girl in college, but the whole second half of my college, um, my, my time in college, I didn't date anybody. It's not because I, I kept getting rejections. I just didn't ask anybody out because I didn't have that peace about anybody. There's a couple people where I said, you know what, this might be a person that I could ask out. But the more I watched, and again, it's not like there was glaring problems necessarily, but uh, just didn't have peace about it either. Uh, and if the first time somebody's name pops into your head and you run and ask that person out, then it may not be what God wants. Give God time to do that work on your heart at the same time. Uh, so same thing with girls, you know, when, when somebody asks you out, give God time to work on your heart before you get emotionally involved in those things. Um, some people may disagree with that careful consideration, and some did when I was in college, but uh, I know some of those friends are divorced now, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not bragging in that way, but uh, I, I, I know I married a woman who loves the Lord. I know I married a woman who, who has a heart to serve God. I know I married a woman who is a good mother. And all of those other things, and, and, and it comes from, from that careful observation before and, and, and carefully asking others' opinions about it before you jump in and get emotionally involved. So uh, I also know that I dodged more than a few bullets along the way. Um, I look at some of the people that I even considered asking out before, and I'm very glad that I didn't. Um, I, I don't know how things would have turned out had we gotten married or whatever else, but uh, there's a lot of things that I look back on now and I say, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it that way. I'm glad I didn't do that. So marriage is your whole life, which makes dating enormously important. If you have the mindset and you should, that marriage is for life, then the one person you pick 
unless you kill him somewhere along the line, is going to be with you for the rest of your life. That's the only way out of it, right? Divorce should not be an option. And if divorce is not an option, then that means this decision is huge and has enormous impact. It's going to have an impact on what you do in the ministry for the Lord. It's going to have an impact on who your children become. It's going to have an impact on how happy you are for the rest of your life. So when I'm, when I'm telling you these things, it's just advice, but it's advice that would be very helpful for you to, to consider. Choosing who you date is critically important because this might be the person you marry. So you better be very careful in the decisions you make on who you date. You could end up with the wrong person, and it's happened many, many times before. Number 13 is this. Keep in mind that marriage is a gamble at best. And I know that sounds depressing. I'm not down on marriage at all. I love marriage. I love being married. It's been, it's been a delight and an honor in my life to be married. Um, but it's still a gamble. No matter how carefully you screen the other person's character, you don't know their heart. And neither one of you can predict how the other person is going to respond when tragedy strikes. What happens when you lose a child? What happens when, you know, some, some crazy thing uh, goes down and, and you lose your parents. You, you don't know how that person is going to respond. And so every study that I've ever seen indicates that the rates of divorce increases dramatically when you have a situation like that. And, and, and police officers will tell you, that to me, you would think that if, if, uh, if you lost a child, especially if you lost a child in a, uh, in, a, uh, in a very tragic way, you would think that that would pull people together, but very often it pushes people apart and they end up getting divorced. Uh, it, you know, you just don't know how people are going to respond in a tragedy situation like that. So uh, you cannot know what's coming, but you can be assured life with all of its frailty and complications and suffering and success, whether it's richer for poorer, for better, for worse, all of those other things is, is coming straight at you both. You can't stop it, but you can prepare for it. And by developing a deep and genuine walk with God, you can prepare for it. By, by having a clear understanding of what God says about marriage and family and a clear vision to develop that, by stacking the odds as much as you can in your favor, marry somebody with a proven character. Marry somebody with a proven track record of loving God and loving people. Marry somebody with a desire for, for, for a biblical family. Marry somebody with a desire uh, and an ability to live inexpensively with the capacity to handle hurt and heartache and things that come their way. Marry somebody you love and marry somebody you like. Marry somebody that you don't fight with all the time. And by the way, that's a, that's a red flag too. If you're fighting constantly while you're dating, it's going to be even worse once you get married. That's a red flag. Stay away from that. Marry somebody who has a similar background and outlook at your own. It'll still be a gamble, but at least it's a better gamble. You put the odds in your favor of a lasting marriage and a marriage that lasts as, as long as it can. So how do you do that? I'm going to give you a couple points here that will give you some things to consider along those lines. Number 14 is this. Be careful of dating someone who has emotional baggage from past abuse. And I know that sounds like a very dangerous statement to say because there's a lot of people that fit in that category, and I'm not saying that that person is not somebody that you should marry. Um, at the end of the marriage altar, you have to marry the one that God has for you. And if that's somebody who happens to have emotional baggage, then so be it. That's the one that God has for you. God loves everybody, and God's forgiveness goes as deep as the sin goes. God gives us in the Bible the tools that we need to overcome bitterness, to deal with that pain, to deal with 
you know, anxiety or depression or whatever it happens to be and to move forward in life in spite of our past. But some wounds leave lasting scars. Um, it, it's like somebody who, who, who got in an accident and had a leg amputated, right? Um, you can heal from, from what caused the loss of that limb, but that limb is still going to be missing for the rest of your life, and you're still going to have to deal with that limb being gone. You can heal from it, but it's still missing. Some people, either through no fault of their own or because of some bad decisions, carry a great weight of emotional baggage. And I'm not saying that you should not date somebody like that or that you should not marry somebody like that, but it's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your parenting. It's going to impact your finances. It's going to impact your ministry. It's going to impact your interactions with the opposite sex. It's going to, relate, it's going to, it's going to impact your relationship with your family and hers and a whole lot of other things. And I've, I've, studied, I've studied this out quite a bit. And I could talk for a while about it. I, I don't want to go into, uh, into it too much more. If, if, so, if, if you want to talk about it more, I'd be happy to talk about it with you. But, and I'm not saying that you can't marry somebody in that situation or that you shouldn't marry that person in that situation. But I'm just asking you to weigh that very carefully if you discover that you're dating somebody with a great deal of past in their past. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's talking, I mean, and it's, what I'm saying is you're trying to stack the odds in your favor of your marriage being a, a good gamble, if you will. So just be, be careful about dating somebody who has that emotional baggage. Number 15 is this. Uh, interracial marriage should involve strong consideration. Interracial marriage is not wrong by any means, but it can be unwise. And, and it can be unwise for the reasons that I just explained. It just makes everything harder. And I know, that, that I know a lot of interracial couples who have very beautiful marriages and, um, and, and have a beautiful family and everything else, and you certainly can do that. But I, I also think it makes marriage more difficult, especially in the first decade. Uh, it takes a lot of getting used to, and it's, it's something that is not for everybody, something that not every person can handle. Um, and when I say interracial, I don't just mean black and white. We have that mindset a lot of times, but white culture and black culture are different. White culture and Asian culture are different. Black culture and South American culture are different. There are things that, we, that you have to take into consideration, especially when now, it, it changes when, when both of you grew up in the United States and you, you, you know, obviously you know English very well and everything else, but when you, take, uh, when you take two couples who either don't know each other's language very well or don't know each other's culture very well, it creates a lot of dynamics in there that, that really changes a lot of things. I'm not saying that interracial marriage is wrong. I'm just saying you should make serious considerations before you go forward with it. Remember, we're trying to stack the odds in our favor. Number 16. Their family background matters for the same reason. Their concept of marriage is largely formed by their parents. Their concept of family is largely formed by the way that they grew up. And so it doesn't mean you can't date somebody whose parents are divorced. It doesn't mean you can't date somebody who comes from a rough family background. It just makes things more problematic in relation to ensuring the right philosophy of marriage, in ensuring the right philosophy of family, Definitely makes things more problematic in relation to the in-laws after marriage. Um, and, you know, a lot of people might say, well, I'm not, I'm not I'm marrying the person, not the family. And I'd say that, that you're wrong in that. You are marrying the family. Now, yes, you're living very directly with that person, but you're marrying their family at the same time. And, and you're marrying their concept of family. Now, let me point this out again. It's not something that makes them unmarriable. It's, it's just another point of consideration. It's something you need to have a lot of conversations about before you get married to make sure 
that you're on the same page. If you find out that your idea of discipline uh, is very different than their idea of discipline, you're going to have a hard time raising your family together. If you find out that their idea of divorce is very different than your idea of divorce, you're going to have a hard time keeping that marriage together. And a lot of other areas relating to the family, uh, if you find that they're vastly different, it'll be a point of contention throughout your entire marriage. Uh, so are they unmarriable? Absolutely not. But it's something that you need to take into consideration. Here's another one. Number 17, their financial history matters. Here's some questions you better make sure you ask. Is he in debt? How much is he in debt? Why is he in debt? What's he doing to get out of that debt? Is he going to provide for you? And you might say, well, man, that's so old-fashioned. We'll both work, and it'll be fine. Okay, then who's going to take care of the kids when both of you are at work? Right? What, what will having both parents work full-time do to them? This is a side note here. I think it's very unwise for the mother to work a job outside the home when the children are young. Uh, if it's a day or two a week, that's one thing. If it's, you know, if it's a job where you can work from home and drop everything at a moment's notice to be there when your kids need them, then that's, that's, that's another thing altogether. But when you're gone from home and your children are being raised by a daycare teacher or by a babysitter who at the end of the day don't care about your kids, I mean, they may like kids and they may like working with them, but they don't care about your kids the same way that you do. And very many of them do not have the same philosophy of Christianity and family and everything else that you have. And so you, you're going to pass them off and let them be raised by a daycare. Don't expect that your children are going to grow up and live for the Lord and have your same values. Most of these kids today are spending more time with the daycare teachers than they are with their own parents. And the parents get them for an hour in the morning while everybody's rushing around and yelling and mad at each other and they finally drop them off at the daycare. And then they get them home at the end of the day when they're rushing around and trying to get dinner and get the laundry done and get the kids in bed. And that's all the kids know of their parents. And they need a mother, right? They need a, a, a mother to take care of them. They don't need to be raised by that babysitter or by that, that, that daycare worker. When you're gone from home and your children are without a mother because you're pursuing a career or money, you're, you're doing your children a huge disservice. By the way, when it comes to the cost of daycare, you're literally only making a couple extra dollars a month. By the time you pay the daycare and pay this and pay that, is, is that little bit of money that you're making in whatever career you have worth not spending time with your children? You only get 18, 19, 20 years with them. Right? If you just absolutely have to do that career, then keep up your certifications and go back to work when your kids are gone. But use that time that you'll never be able to get back with your children to spend time with your children. Um, do what you have to do to make it work. Setting that to the side, what will having a wife that has expensive taste or a husband who's bad at managing money do to your marriage? I can answer that question for you. It's going to do in one word, and that's pressure. It's going to put a lot of pressure on your marriage when it comes to finances. And that's why I say their financial history matters. It'll put an enormous and constant strain on your marriage. Moving all the time because you can't pay the rent. That's not very glamorous. It's not very romantic, right? And I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay somebody who gets into a tough situation and, and has to do those kind of things. Um, but constant car breakdowns or the inability to, to pay a babysitter so you can go out to dinner to build your relationship if you cannot do any of those things, it's going to hinder your marriage relationship. And, and by the way, you, 
have got to take time to go on dates as husband and wife. Um, if, if that means that you just have to go to McDonald's and, and because that's all you can afford, then go to McDonald's. If you can just go to the park and you can't even afford to go out to eat, go to the park, find things that are free, but you've got to find ways to spend time together. What's going to happen is your kids are going to get out of the house and it's just going to be the two of you left and you're not even going to know who that other person is. You, it's just as important to spend time pursuing each other after you get married as, as it was pursuing each other before you got married. And if you don't pursue your husband or your wife the same way after you got married, it's going to change that relationship. And so you're going to find that, that there's going to be nothing left of your relationship if you don't pursue it throughout the entire time that your kids are growing up. Now, obviously, you've got to take care of your children. It's important for you to do that. But your children are not your number one priority. Your husband or your wife is your number one priority. You're going to be with them for the rest of your life. Your kids are going to grow up and they'll be gone someday. Your husband or your wife is going to be the one that will be there forever. And I, 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 I don't and you shouldn't expect to find financial expertise in some 20-something-year-old kid, right? Most of us didn't know what we were doing with finances when we were 20. But I don't think it's wise for a father to require his future son-in-law to have a, a house and two cars and $50,000 in the bank. It'd be nice, but, but um, I know where I was at that age. I was pretty responsible with my money, and I didn't have $50,000 in the bank. I didn't have a house. I didn't have two cars. I didn't have everything, right? Some of those things take a lifetime to get. Uh, so for me to put that expectation on a 22-year-old kid that wants to marry my daughter, I think is putting uh, expectations on them that's far beyond what they can and should handle. But you should expect to find honesty. You should expect to find very little debt. You should expect to find financial literacy. And by the way, let that be a lesson to you, young men. Uh, learn how to handle your money. If you can't make a dollar without it burning a hole in your pocket and you got to go out and buy 50 packs of gum because you have 50 bucks, you're going to have a hard time taking care of a family. You're going to have a hard time convincing your future father-in-law to let you marry his daughter, right? Save your money. Uh, learn how to be financially independent. You're going to need it. And if you don't know how to do that, ask. Find out. There's plenty of places that you can find out how to start a budget when you're in high school, how to handle your money to where you are actually financially responsible with those things. Here's number 18. Their work history matters. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Think about these questions when it comes to work. How often have they changed jobs? How often have they been fired? How often do they complain about work? How often do they call off work? How persistent are they at finding work? Or maybe it's a matter of how often do they work? Do they think that 20 hours is a, is a full week? Right? More than, more than that's unreasonable. A lot of things to consider. But wives and husbands both, you better find somebody that knows how to work. God puts an emphasis on work and providing for the family. He, he actually looks at it from both sides. The husband's side in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's, that's very, very strong language for somebody who just won't provide for his own family. That's, and providing for your family takes work, takes effort. If you don't know how to work and provide for your family, the Bible says you've denied the faith worse than an infidel. Turn over just a couple pages to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This is for the ladies. 
The aged women likewise, Titus chapter 2 and verse number 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Here it is, verse number 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Keepers at home. I think that's the, that's the key phrase there. I mean, but that's a lot of things that the old, older ladies are to teach the younger ladies. But keepers at home, you know how much work that takes. That's a lot of work. And if, and if you have a, a, a young lady that does not want to work, then what is she going to do when it comes time for her to, you know, wash the dishes and cook the food and, and change the baby's diapers and give them baths and get them in bed and do the laundry and all of those other things? I'm not saying that a husband can't come home and help out with those things. Those are things that, that a husband can help out with. But the keepers at home, the Bible never told a husband to be a keeper at home. He told him to be a provider and a protector, right? That's the husband's job. The wife's job is to be the keeper at home, which is another reason why I think it's important that women that have children that are young don't work outside the home. But anybody that's done those things knows that it takes work. And the way that somebody works is a reflection of their true character. Character shows up dressed in work clothes, not in a tuxedo. And if you really want to see somebody's character, how do they work? Now, that's not the end-all, be-all, but how do they work? Turn over to Proverbs 13. I'm going to give you two more. Number 19 is this. When you're considering a marriage partner and when you're trying to uh, stack the odds in your favor, if you will, number 19, their friends matter. And we mentioned this a little bit ago, but it's worth giving it its own point. Their friends reveal who they are, and they give a great indication of who they're going to become. I put a lot of stock in that statement. I, I know almost all I need to know about a person by who they hang out with. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I'm always amazed when I go to camp, any camp. It takes less than a day for all the rebels to find each other. And vice versa, usually the good kids find each other too. You want to know where your kid stands? Who do they gravitate toward in any situation? Camp, wherever it happens to be. Who do they gravitate toward? Because who their friends are and who they want to be like is who they're going to be. And it may be a few years because you may not give them the freedom to do those things, but who they hang out with and who they want to be friends with is who they're going to be. You can tell a whole lot about a person that you want to date by who they hang out with. Their friends are who they're going to be. It's so important. Number, number 20, this is the last one for tonight. And, and this one's probably the most important out of all of the ones that we've talked about, but it's this, their relationship with the Lord matters. I don't, I don't, have the, I don't wanna take the time tonight to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but all of, them, all of those books, all of the gospels there uh, mention that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment that, we, that, that Jesus very plainly said. So in the end, our flesh, our carnality is our worst enemy. No matter your background, no matter your family, no matter your philosophy, your, your personality, your work experience, your financial uh, you know, uh, acuity, or any of those other things, you still have flesh. You still have a carnal nature. And the only thing that keeps that carnality in check is your walk in the Spirit, your walk with the Lord. And so... What I want to know is, how is their relationship with the Lord? I've, I've needed 
my wife's patience and forgiveness and charity and long-suffering and mercy and grace thousands of times through the years. Where does she get that from? She gets that from her relationship with the Lord. And I've used this illustration quite a few times, but if you take a triangle and you put God at the top and you put a husband and wife on the bottom of that triangle, the closer they get to God, the closer they're going to get to each other. And, and vice versa, the farther they get away from God, the farther they're going to get away from each other. So your relationship with the Lord is your number one priority. If you want to love your husband the right way, then love the Lord the right way. If you want to love your wife the right way, then love the Lord the right way. You love him and you focus on your relationship with him, then your chance of having a relationship that lasts with your husband or your wife is a whole lot better. A good marriage, somebody said this before, is the union of two good forgivers. And that's exactly what marriage is. You have to know how to forgive. Where does that forgiveness come from? It comes from your relationship with the Lord. That's just one aspect of this relation uh, in marriage. There, there's, a lot, uh, there's so many more. But you give somebody who, who loves, give me somebody who loves the Lord and walks with the Lord and violates most of the rest of these principles, and I'll show you a, a marriage that's a win almost every time. Now, show me somebody who walks with the Lord and has a relationship with the Lord, and he's not going to violate m many of these other ones either. A lot of those other things are going to be in place too. And it'll be somebody that, that will have a marriage that's, that's really going to last. So the questions that, that really occupy our minds a lot is, do I love that person? Does that person love me? But the question that we should be asking is, does that person love the Lord? Because if they love the Lord, then they're going to be able to love you. If they love the Lord and you do too, then you're going to be able to love them the way that the Lord loves them and the way that the Lord wants you to love. And the Bible is very, very clear about husbands loving their wives and wives loving their husbands. The Bible is very clear about that. And so if, if their relationship with the Lord, that's what I want to know. How is their relationship with the Lord? There's a lot of indicators of that. Their friends, their work ethic, their finances. A lot of those other things are all indicators of that, but they could have all of those things be off and have a relationship with the Lord. And if their relationship with the Lord is right, your marriage is going to be just fine. Uh, and most of those other things will be just fine too. So the whole idea of this, and, and again, all of these things, and now, now that's one that I honestly wouldn't be willing to budge on. Their relationship with the Lord has to be important to them in order for them to be important to me uh, if, I was, if I was looking for somebody to date. Most of these things are all suggestions. They're all advice. They're all things that you should seriously consider uh, when you're looking for a person to, to date to ultimately marry. But all of these things are also things, young people, that you ought to be working on yourself. Are your finances in order? Do you love to work? And that may not be your personality. You may not love to work at all. You better learn how, right? You, you, you may like to hang out with the wrong friends. You better learn how not to. All those things can be changed, right? Just because, well, it's just the way I am. You can change those things. And the closer your relationship gets with the Lord, the better those things are going to be in those areas. If you want to find somebody like we're talking about, then you've got to be somebody like we're talking about. Because what's going to happen is you're going to find somebody with all of these characteristics. Oh, they check off all my boxes, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, you don't have any of those boxes checked off. And they're going to have the relationship with the Lord, and they're going to be a worker, and they're going to have character, and they're going to have their finances under control. And they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, that's not marriage material. I've set my standards a lot higher than that. So if you want somebody that has all of those things, then you better be somebody that has all those things too. Now, at the end of the day, you've got to marry the person that God wants you to marry. And I, and I 
wholeheartedly believe that God has one person picked out for you to marry. Your job is to find that person. And that's what all of this is about. Finding that one person. Out of 8 billion people in the world, God has one person for you. Isn't that a special, special thing when you think about it? And how special that person will be to you when you find them. 8 billion people and he's got somebody picked out for you. And get this. For most of you in this room, that person is alive somewhere right now. Somewhere right now, that person is alive. Your future wife, guys, is somewhere right now. Your future husband, girls, is somewhere right now. You ought to be praying for them. You ought to be praying that God would help them with these things. You're only helping yourself out later on. Parents, you ought to be praying for your kids' future spouses. It's only going to help you out later on. You want a good relationship with the in-laws? Pray for them. Pray for them now before you even know who they are. It'll go a lot, it'll go a lot farther than you think it will. We're going to talk a, a, about a few more of these next week. Hopefully they're a help to you. Let's pray, and then we'll be done for tonight. Father, we love you. Can we thank you for your goodness to us? Thank you for an opportunity we have to share these things and, and obviously to find these principles in the Word of God. I do pray for every single one of our young people here. And God, I'm so thankful that you blessed us with so many. But God, I pray that you'd help each one of them to grow up and marry the person that you have for them. That you'd help them to grow up and find the person that you have for them. God, I pray that you'd help each one of them to be what you need them to be so that they can be ready for the person that you do have for them. And God, I pray that you'd help us to raise our young people up in a way that's pleasing to you. Raise them up in a, in a way that will help them to be everything that you want to accomplish through them and in them. God, that they'd be mighty swords in your hand that could go out and do great things for you. We well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.